is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, April 24th, 2023. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenker, working back in Connecticut. And uh, it's just, uh, I mean, it's just hit it head on. It's a really tough day here at ESPN. A lot of good people, guys, uh, have, uh, have been let go by the company and you know, I've been through about four of these, and each one is just so difficult because uh, these are people you work with every day. These are people you care about. These are people who really care about what they do. Uh, it, it's a tough day. Yeah, you know, but there's a couple of people you know in our orbit who are let go, and people who I you know admire and respect, and have you know really done a lot for me in my you know almost four years at ESPN. So it's uh, it's it's been challenging for sure, but we will uh, we will try and power through here and uh, and give you a little content to chew on. Yeah, and Sarah, I think I mean what we've done, learned in the past is that you know we you go through these situations and you acknowledge them up front, and, and then you pivot and you talk about baseball. But uh, how are you doing? Yeah, it's definitely a hard topic to discuss. And the only thing that I can really say is just I'm thinking of all the families affected and praying for everyone and their families and just hope they can get through this time. Absolutely. On Sunday night, uh, Sunday night baseball, it was in San Francisco over the weekend. The score was 4-3 Giants, top of the sixth inning, and this happened. Alvarez, a fly ball to left, going back is Yastrzemski, to the wall, looks up, and it's off the top of the wall and out. Home run, Francisco Alvarez has tied the game for the Mets. That was Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio, who was so much fun to work with. I got to do the Mets and Giants broadcast on Saturday. Roxy was great. Yesterday, he was working with Doug Glanville. That home run that Alvarez hit, it was crazy. It was like... uh, it was a wiffle ball pitch up by his shoulders, and he got on top of it, drove it out of the park. It was still tied, four all, bottom of the eighth inning one. Vanderbilt guy, Mikey Stremski, came to the plate with a runner at first. Stremski out toward right center field. That falls in for a hit. Cutting it off shy of the track is Nimmo. They're waving Peterson around third. McNeil's throw to the plate. Not in time. Peterson scores all the way from first. Mike Yastrzemski. An RBI double, 5-4 Giants. And that would be the final score. Jock Peterson on that slide tore the seat of his pants coming across home plate because he had this sort of awkward slide. He was out of balance. And Nicole Briscoe asked him about the play after the game. You know, we, we can't have you on the show here without talking about your, um, your slide in the eighth inning there. I mean, if Trey- hey, the kid was flying around the bases. I got two hand guards on. I got a bum wrist. I was like a penguin. I just had to. I didn't want to brace myself with my arms, so I just, you know, went for the, went for the on fire. You roll or something like that. Stop, drop, and roll. Something. I mean, <laughs> if, if Trey Turner against the Phillies in 2021 is like the standard of smooth slides, like where are we ranking yours? Where does yours fall? Hey, I was safe. That's what matters. <laughs> no, but uh, hey, Trey makes it look real easy. Uh, he makes it look easy. It's not as easy for uh, for some of the bigger boys, but uh, I was flying around the bases. We won the game. Warriors won. We run. It was a good, good day in the Bay. Chuck Peterson with a great sense of humor. Great questions by Nicole in that interview. Dodgers beat the Cubs 7-3, and the pivotal inning was the top of the six when the Dodgers kind of went crazy. Here it comes. Fly ball to right. 
Suzuki going back at the wall, and Muncie has hit another one out. Max Muncie is now the National League's leading home run hitter. A two-run shot. He has 11 on the year. Now with 21 runs batted in, and the Dodgers have themselves a 4-3 lead. Oh, is Muncie hot. 10 home runs in his last 13 games. 11 on the season. The most in the National League. And Martinez with a shot to deep left center field, and that one is gone. Muncie and Martinez, the M&M boys, go back to back. Charlie Steiner with those calls on AM570 LA Sports. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Uh, We were concerned about Logan O'Hoppe after he uh, crumpled at the plate in that Thursday game against the Yankees. Well, the Angels got the news. He is officially out for four to six months. He has a torn labrum in his left shoulder, and he's someone who is expected to be having surgery. It's a huge blow for the Angels because, of course, this is the year when they're trying to show Shohei Otani that they want to compete uh, the whole question is whether or not they're going to be out of the race and whether they'll trade Otani at the trade deadline. And Ohapi was off to a tremendous start. They faced the Royals on Sunday, and it was a big inning in the bottom of the sixth. First batter up for the Angels, swinging, hitting a ball deep down the left field side and hitting it out down in the corner is Taylor Ward. That was nice. It was Trout lifting a high fly ball. It's hit well out into right center, out by the wall, and that ball is out of here. Trout blasts it out. Back-to-back home runs. Angels have the lead. It's now 3-2. to two. And the pitch. Shohei swings, and he hits one way out in right center. Showtime. Back to back to back home runs and the Angels lead it four to two. That was Terry Smith on Angels Radio AM 830. The Angels win the game four to three. The Pirates over the weekend announced that they've given manager Derek Shelton a new contract. Interestingly, they didn't announce how many years the deal was for, when his contract is set to expire, probably to save him from a lot of questions from reporters about whether or not he's a lame duck or is he going to be around for three years or five years. But the Pirates, off to this phenomenal start, having a great weekend. We'll be talking with Tim Kirkjian about that. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You know who's getting it done for the Phillies this year? Bryson Stott, who had a two-run homer on Sunday. And the pitch from Lamette, swing and a high drive, right field, it's got a chance. Blackman is back at the track, at the wall, it's gone! Bryson Stott with a two-run home run over the out-of-town scoreboard. It's his second home run of the season, it's the Phillies' third long ball of the day. And they break open some breathing room, leading it 7-3 to three here in the bottom of the seventh. It was Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. The Astros had a great weekend against Atlanta, sweeping the Braves. And on Sunday, Alex Bregman applied the coup de grace. 1-0. 
And that's hit softly over the head of Grissom and then a left for a base hit. Hensley scores. Jokes racing home. Go to the plate. Not in time. Jokes with a head first slide. Two run single for Alex Bregman. And the Astros lead 5-2. to two. Robert Ford, KBME 790 AM. The Blue Jays were in Yankee Stadium over the weekend. It was 0-0 on Sunday, top of the sixth inning, when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came to the plate. This is someone who, during the course of the weekend, reiterated he's never going to sign with the Yankees. He says it's personal. Here's what it sounded like Sunday. Vladdy hits a rocket up the line and left. That ball is screaming towards the wall, and it's going to go. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. A two-run bullet into the bleachers in left field. That from Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, it is officially NFL Draft Week. You can watch the draft starting Thursday evening on ESPN, ABC. You can Vikings got to take a quarterback, Taylor. They got to take a quarterback. That's what you're thinking right now? I, I Absolutely. Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be around in five years. Let's start to build a solution going forward. Whoa, that's bold, Buster. I love it. Maybe Will Levis, put him on the team right now. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Will Levis. Uh, Pete Thamel and Reese Davis talking him down on the College Game Day podcast. So if you want to dive a little more into Will Levis, you can listen to that, Buster. There we go. Great job promoting the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight.
And Tim Kirchin covers baseball for ESPN. He's been covering baseball a long time. Tim, how you doing this week? I'm well, Buster. I'm not cold. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, and I landed here in Bozeman this afternoon. No snow today. It's 60 degrees. How cool is that? That's warm. That's great. Enjoy. Nice. Milk a cow. <laughs> so, so you have, uh, of course, covered a lot of players. You know players' personality. So I'm going to put one on a tee for you. Uh, we're doing these interviews just before the start of the game on Sunday Night Baseball. The first week that I did this, Nelson Cruz was the first guy we did. He had a three-run homer and drove in six runs. The second week that we got a player for the interview to start the game, Marcus Simeon, who we're going to hear from later in the podcast, hit a grand slam home run and had a couple hits. The third guy last night, Francisco Lindor, had an RBI double in his second plate appearances. So these guys have combined for 11 RBI in three games with a couple of home runs. You know players' personalities. When I'm calling around to agents this week, and we have the Phillies playing the Astros this weekend, and I'm targeting one player in particular, what are the odds this is going to work in my favor that all these guys are having success? And when I talk to the agents, talk to the players, how much should I play that up? You should play it up big, Buster. Baseball, I don't care what anyone says, is the hardest game in the world to play. You will take whatever it takes Good luck, coincidence, anything. Buster's a good luck charm. He interviews you. He hit a three-run homer. Guys will do that. Mike Schmidt once told me when I was struggling, this is Mike Schmidt, the greatest third baseman ever. He said, if someone had told me that you should start your swing with your, your back to the pitcher, not even seeing him, I would have tried it. Players will try anything, whatever it is in order to get themselves out of a slump or have good luck that day. I wrote a whole story for one of my books on superstitions. It's ridiculous what people will do in order to feel lucky that day. So talking to Buster makes you lucky. I'm all for it, and uh, you should you should play it up big. Yeah, pregame interviews, uh, those guys lead the league in war. That's pretty – anyone who talks to us before Sunday Night Baseball lead the league in war. I've told you this story, I'm sure, before about Paul O'Neill, who even in the last year of his career was incredibly superstitious. He hated it when you brought up any statistic involving success, uh, you know, especially an ongoing hitting streak. He didn't want you to ask about his 20-game hitting streak. Uh, and I walked up to him once his last year – and I told him, you know, hey, uh, I got this, this stat from the Elias Sports Bureau. And he goes, Buster, I told you how many times I don't want to hear about that stuff. And I said, no, Paul, it's something you've already done. Like, it's you were in the books for this. It's already a done deal. He goes, oh, really? What is it? <laughs> he did a complete. It was right. some combination of home runs and stolen bases for a guy his age. That was Paul O'Neill. That's the way most players are. Yeah, and Larry Bird was going for the all-time free-throw shooting record once, and Dan Shaughnessy, who was a beat writer, talked to him before the game about it, wanted to write about it, and Larry missed a free-throw during the game, didn't break the record, and turned to the press box to the press box and looked at Dan Shaughnessy and said, basically, this is your fault because you brought this up. There's a time and a place for all things. All right, the time and the place to have discussion uh, about the sticky stuff uh, situation with Max Scherzer last week was on Sunday Night Baseball. David Cohn essentially did a description of the rosin and alcohol mix 
that uh, was involved when Scherzer was ejected from that game last week. Give a listen to our friend David Cohn. Okay, all the talk about Max Scherzer and the sticky stuff, getting suspended. Here's the rosin. This is rock rosin right here. We got it from the Mets clubhouse. Just with a little rock rosin and moisture. That kind of stickiness right there. Those are my fingers on the ball and the ball sticking on the, on the ball right there without any help at all. That's just with minimal work right there. Now, as you work it and you have heat on your hands or you blow on your hands or if you can get your hands heated up a little bit, you can see right there, there's already a little resin and black sticky on my fingers. That's what happened to Max Scherzer too that day that once he had black sticky on his fingers, they said, wait a minute, that's too sticky. We need you to go wash it off. So Max Scherzer took rubbing alcohol and washed his fingers off with rubbing alcohol. Now watch what happens when you use the rubbing alcohol on your fingers. Yeah, maybe you can get rid of some of that, some of that residue in the, in the, the uh, black stuff. The next thing you know, the alcohol makes it even stickier. It actually activates the rosin to where you're even more sticky than you were before by using alcohol, rubbing alcohol, to clean your hands off because of the residue and the blackness from the rosin that gets on your fingertips. I'm actually more sticky now because I used rubbing alcohol. That's what happened to Scherzer the other night, is that he, in front of a Major League Baseball official, washed his hands with rubbing alcohol and came back and they said his fingers were actually stickier. I can believe it, so are mine. This baseball's staying on my fingers right now. And this is just in a broadcast booth. It's not in a bullpen or a dugout before a game getting ready to actually pitch a Major League Baseball. Yeah, so his fingers are so sticky, you can't see it on a podcast. Fingers are so sticky, he held the baseball with his fingertips, with his fingertips on top of the baseball. That's how sticky it was. Tim, what did you make of that presentation by David? Well, it was beautifully done, and it was done by the person who should be doing it, a pitcher who these guys know everything about the surface of a baseball and fingers and hands. Jim Palmer taught me this 40 years ago. Some baseballs feel like golf balls. Others feel like grapefruits. This is their living is a baseball in their hand. They know everything about it. They know how to make it sticky. They know how to make it shiny. And it's no surprise at all that David Cohn knew exactly how to do that. And it was very revealing that just a a combination of sweat and rosin makes it sticky. And we, even I knew before this that alcohol and rosin, it's going to make it stickier. So it was really important that somebody who pitched in the big leagues at a very high level would show you how easy it is to get a sticky grip here just by using two normal things, one of, neither one of which are considered illegal, but clearly alcohol and rosin is going to create a stickier situation. So in the first inning of that game, his spin rate was actually down slightly. In the second inning, his spin rate was actually down slightly. In the third inning, before he was ejected, it, it went up by about 50, okay, RPMs, which you and I know is completely negligible so I felt like when I walked away uh, from hearing David speak, everything he said completely backed Max Scherzer's story and what he told reporters last week. What did you think? I believed every word that Max Scherzer said. Look, I don't want to get too deep into this. But when you say I swear on my children that I, this is exactly what I, I believed every word of it. But it just shows you that we need to clarify these rules, Buster, that he took a legal substance, 
rosin, combine it with sweat, which happens on every single pitch, you should not get in trouble for doing that. But there are other rules, of course. You, you can't apply the rosin unless you're on the mound. You can't do it in the dugout or in the clubhouse. So I think Max Scherzer was telling the truth. I think the umpires, given all this, made the right decision, but I think we need to make sure this doesn't happen again because we need to clarify these rules because Max Scherzer did, I believe, the right thing and it had the wrong consequences. So something needs to be clarified here. So I was on the field in San Francisco on Saturday and Max finished his workout and he passed me and he goes, what do you got? And he dove right into the conversation. Uh, we talked for 40 minutes. He didn't want to talk on the record. He doesn't feel like that at this stage. And he's right. It really doesn't add anything from, from his perspective. He said what he said after the, you know, the suspension came down. He's given his point of view. Uh, I, I did have a question for him, which was essentially a view from 30,000 feet. Why in God's name does baseball not have <laughs> any kind of agreement on a baseball with a surface that everybody has agreed upon and can work with like they have in Japan. It's taken less time to land on man on the moon than to get a, a baseball, the central piece of equipment in the game that all the players and the hitters and the pitchers and the teams and Major League Baseball's front office can get behind. And it's mind boggling to me, Tim, that we continue to have these conversations about uh, you know, how much sticky stuff, you know, okay, you're allowed to have this, some sticky stuff. And you know what? There's so many variables involved in this whole, in this decision last week. What's the temperature? How much does the player sweat? Uh, what's the humidity level? How much is too much in terms of the rosin? You know, pitchers, we laughed last week about that. We're hearing now about personal rosin bags. It's insane. Find a baseball that everyone can agree with. I don't get it, Tim. Right. And we're working on that in the minor leagues. Apparently there is a baseball now being used in instructional minor league situations that has built in tackiness to it. But I'm telling you, Buster, knowing pitchers the way that I do, each one has a slightly different feel on the baseball. Not everyone's going to say, oh, this is the perfect feel of the ball. The tackiness is perfect on this. The grip is perfect. No one's going to agree on that, but I agree. We have to find a way like they do it in Japan because this is ridiculous. There's just, and you said it a few weeks ago, the umpires have a different, each umpire has a different view about what is sticky, what isn't sticky. How do we use the, the new rules? That's the tricky part. We're asking the umpires to do so much more than, than we normally do, and their jobs are pretty hard anyway. I'm not going to put this in front of, in front of Sarah Langs because it wouldn't be a fair question. What are the statistical odds that over the course of two years you would have three pitchers busted for sticky stuff and they were all done by the same umpire, Phil Cuzzy, who I like. I think he's a terrific umpire, but the, the, that in itself would have to raise statistical questions. A stats uh, professor would look at that and say, that makes no sense. Yes, I totally agree. And again, a different level. But remember when they called every balk in the world 30 years ago and Bob Davidson called like 10 times more than anybody else. Again, was he better at it? Maybe he was, but it just doesn't. We all have to follow the same set of rules. And yet the set of rules for the players and the umpires are still not clear enough. All right, so the uh, Tampa Bay Rays continue to win every game they play at home. They're off to an unbelievable start, 
And then there's the Oakland Athletics who are on the other end of the extreme. So I'm going to give you an impossible question, okay? Uh, which is closer to, if you think of it like uh, the absolute extremes on the great to terrible scale, which team is closer to the either the, the, the far end of their greatness or their being terrible? Is Oakland so bad? Is Oakland so bad that them being bad is worse than how great the Rays are great? Does that make any sense to you at all? No, but I'm going to try to answer the question. Look, and this is not my nature, Buster, you know this, but I have to say that the A's are worse than the, the Rays are great. And the Rays are great. They're 13-0. and 0. They haven't lost at home since 1900. No team has ever won the first 14 games at home in any season. What they're, they, they're out homering their opponents 48-12. to 12. That's absurd. But the A's, Buster, you pointed this out. They've been outscored by 103 runs. 103 runs in 22 games. It's all less than a month in. Their run differentials minus 100 runs a game. April. It's unbelievable how bad the poor A's are. And I take no joy in saying this because this is not healthy for Oakland, for baseball, for anybody that a team is off to this kind of start. I've been asked three times in the last three days will the A's win 30 games this year? Wow. The answer is yes, they're going to win 30 games. They're going to win more than 40 games, all right? They're not going to be the 62 Mets. But this is really, really not a good situation. Just the other day, Buster, their ERA was two runs higher than any other team in the American League. 7-7-2 versus 5-7-2. That's a really bad sign this early in the season. Uh, are you co-signing that they're already in the discussion is possibly the worst team we've ever seen? Because I think they're in that discussion now. Well, it's I think it's too early for that. And you are talking to the wrong guy. Remember, I covered the 88 Orioles. They lost their first <laughs> 21 games. They were 0 and 21. The record had been 0 and 13. They went 0 and 21. Don't start me on that. The entire podcast would be about my stories from covering an 0 and 21 team that went on to lose 107. So, no, the A's, it's too early to put them in the worst ever. But as far as the worst April I've seen, outscored by 103 runs by April the 24th, that's not good. So you know this statistic, it uh, was posted on Sunday morning, that through 21 games, the worst run differential since 1900 was that team that you covered, they were at minus 85. The 2023 Oakland Athletics were at minus 100. They crushed the, your, the Oriole team that you covered and went way beyond them. And I'm just going to ask you this. Whenever people to start talking about the greatest team ever, I feel like there's a little part of me that's defensive on behalf of the 98 Yankees, a team that I cover. Like I saw them. And so I'm, I'm reflexively thinking that's the greatest team ever. Do you think of that Oriole team as being the worst ever? And when you is a little part of you dying when the Oakland Athletics are taking away their thunder like that? Um, well, that Oriole team is not the worst ever. The 62 Mets won 40. Yes. Okay. But Frank Robinson took the writers out to dinner after loss number 18. I asked him during dinner, has anyone called you interesting to talk to you about this streak? And he goes, yeah, the president called me today. So I pushed him three times because Frank was a big kidder. Finally said, damn it. The president of the United States called me today. I said, Frank, what did he say? He said, Frank, 
I know what you're going through. And Frank said, Mr. President, you got no idea what I'm going through. That's how bad the Orioles were in 88. And the poor A's are in the same discussion, at least on some level. Well, and you heard this last week. Uh, there's a lot of expectation now that the athletics are going to wind up relocating to Las Vegas because their ownership bought these 49 acres. It's very interesting, Tim, being out in San Francisco, talking with a lot of people who know that market, how high the skepticism is that the athletics will actually leave. They think this is all a leverage game by that ownership with the city of Oakland. Uh, I think it was pointed out uh, last week that the difference between what the athletics are looking for and what the city's willing to give is something in the range of $90 million. Folks at the ballpark yesterday are like, nah, they'll work it out. What do you think? Um, I'm certainly not certain about this. I've, I've done this. I've talked to people about this story for 15 years. Bud Selig told me 15 years ago, we have to do something about the Rays and the A's. And here it is 15 years later, and we still haven't fixed it. It's my understanding that what's happened in Oakland, among other things, is that, you know, one of the areas where they were going to build a new stadium has fallen apart. That doesn't mean the entire project has fallen apart. Just this one, you know, Howard area has fallen apart. So I'm still putting it at 50-50 that they're going to they're going to leave. Others have it at 90-10 they're going to leave and it sounds like you're at your your buddies you talked to were 2080 that they're going to leave. Have I read that right? 100%. And I don't know enough to know what those odds but it was fascinating to me to, you know, read stories last week about it. Looks like they're going to Las Vegas and then when you're out there in the middle of it they're like now, just wait till we see where the shovel's put in the ground someplace. Right, right. Uh, we got word over the weekend that Logan O'Hoppe, uh, the catcher for the Angels, suffered a shoulder injury, uh, a torn labrum. He's going to be out four to six months. Let's face it, he's probably out for the year. This is a devastating injury, Tim. I don't think there's any way around it. It's an underrated injury and in how important this guy was for the Angels in a year in which they're trying to compete. Uh, a year in which they're going to be dealing with the question of whether or not to trade Shohei Otani. And I will tell you that a lot of the executives I speak with other teams, speak to with other teams are telling me they're not trading him. That their feeling is, is that Artie Moreno, their owner, will not trade Otani. He, it's better for him politically if Otani walks away as a free agent as opposed to delivering him out of town to another team. What's your yeah. take? I, I agree with that at the moment. First on Ohapi, he's a good player. He runs a game really well. He can catch. Yep. We've seen the power he's shown this early. There's some thump there that I'm not sure everyone recognized and that everything has to go well for the Angels in that division with the Rangers so much better, Astros, Mariners, and the rest of the American League being pretty darn good. As for Otani, I know they feel in Anaheim with the Angels that they have a chance to re-sign him because of his comfort level pitching and hitting in that ballpark. Of course he wants to win, and he doesn't want to be with a team that's not going to win. Of course he's going to go where the most money is, but he's also absolutely obsessed with his own numbers, as are a lot of players, and his comfort level is really 
important to him. I was told, hey, he doesn't like hitting in Yankee Stadium. Go look at those numbers. He doesn't hit at Yankee Stadium very well. He doesn't enjoy playing at Dodger Stadium. So maybe the Angels are still holding out hope that in the end, with the money they're going to offer him and the comfort level they're going to give him, and maybe if they get a whole lot better, he's going to stay. I don't think it's likely, but I don't see them at this point trading him on August the 1st. How cool was his story? Drew Maggie getting called up by the Pittsburgh Pirates, a guy who's got 13 years in the minor leagues, and it appears, it hasn't happened yet, it appears he's going to get an opportunity for the first time to play in a big league game. Just before you answer that, give a listen to the presentation of this news in his minor league clubhouse. Some of us have had the chance to be in the major leagues, um, and it was for one day. And there's going to be some of us going to get a chance to take that one day and turn it into a one plus. And so... It is with great pleasure that I get to promote uh, my first person to the major leagues and someone that is tremendously uh, important to this group and someone that exemplifies grit, a choice to continue to fight for what he wants in life. And a lot of that is having the right perspective. And so, um, so Maggie, you're going to get an opportunity to drop. <laughs> This is a great story that Drew Maggie is going to the big leagues. This is why minor league baseball is so great. This is why major league baseball is so great that this kid's played over a thousand minor league games. And he finally at age 33 gets a chance to go to the big leagues. That reaction in that clubhouse was absolutely priceless. This is why baseball is so great. I'm not sure anyone ever says, yeah, I played one game in the NBA. I, I can, my dream came true. I don't think it works that way in the other sports, but it does in baseball and it's going to for Drew Maggie once he gets a chance to play. I love it. So we're going to be talking with Marcus Simeon here in just a second. What's your favorite Marcus Simeon story? Well, I just, I just love that he got off to a slow start in his major league career and Bob Melvin talked to him and Ron Washington worked with him. And Bob Melvin told me the most improved player I've ever seen in my major league career as a player and a manager <clears throat> is Marcus Simeon that at the beginning he really struggled. And then he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and became a really, really good player. And I also love it. You know, how fascinated buster i am with with hands big hands marcus simeon has these really small hands which is on tony Gwynn hands right yeah. tony well tony Gwynn's hands are even smaller than but simeon's got little hands and and ron washington had to work with him because he felt like a lot of those errors that simeon made early in his career were throwing errors because he could never get the best grip on the ball because his hands were so small and wash taught him how to throw when his hands aren't very big. He corrected it. He's corrected so many things in his career. And now he is a really good player on what is so far a really good team. You know how seriously Marcus takes his work. Uh, you know how seriously Corey Seager takes his work. Bruce Bochy takes his work. Jacob DeGrom uh, it was around that team. And that's something that really jumped out at me. One of the questions I'm going to ask Marcus is, tell me about your 
dugout celebration that you guys have with home runs and tell me about your post-game celebration. Knowing the personalities of those players, what's your guess, the, what the answer is <laughs> going to be? Well, the answer is zero because any team managed by Bruce Bochy. You think look, so? I Even love, in 2023? I, right. I love these. I just did a little piece for ES for baseball tonight on the home run celebrations. The Reds are putting, you know, jackets on and Norse caps on with antlers. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I love it. It, it gives camaraderie to the team. And yet, when I look at a Bruce Bochy team, sorry, that's not happening. Corey Seager, son of a coach. No, no, no. We're not going to do that in the clubhouse. Marcus Simeon, who has a good time, but is a very, very serious player. And Jacob deGrom, who all he wants to do is strike you out, doesn't care about anything else to go with this. You put those four guys on a team, and I would be shocked if there were a home run celebration with Bruce Bochy as the manager. All right, we're going to find out. Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster, see you soon. Marcus Simeon is the second baseman for the Texas Rangers who are off to one of the best starts in baseball. Marcus, did you feel this coming in spring training uh, that the that you guys would take a big step forward this year? Yeah, I mean, I think spring training is tough. You know, I've been on teams where, you know, we won the Cactus League and then, you know, came in last place. You know, when you look at some of the early teams I was on in Oakland and, Spring training can be very deceiving. You know, you're just meeting everybody and, um, you know, getting to know everybody and not everybody's playing together at the same time. Guys are on different schedules and more off days. And once we had that first series um, at home against Philadelphia, the, you know, the defending National League champions and we, we played good baseball, I thought, okay, we got something special here. What do you think is the biggest difference in your eyes? Well, it's definitely, definitely the rotation. I think that, you know, when you look at one through five, just the experience, the age of those guys and the talent um, and just overall good people. You know, I think that that means a lot for our team. We added some veterans in the bullpen as well, like Will Smith, Ian Kennedy. And, you know, we also have Jonathan Hernandez and LeClerc coming back from injury, you know, a lot more healthy than they were. So I like the pitching staff we have. And of course, the position players, we were all pretty much together last year. And we're all getting better together. When I saw you a couple of weeks ago, or uh, we, we actually, you and I had a conversation about this. What jumped out at me uh, being around the, the group of you was how you guys have such even keel personalities on your team. You know, DeGrom is that way. You're that way. Bruce Bochy is that way. You know, manager. You know, we love when we watch a team like the Pirates who look like, you know, a, a you know, little kids, uh, not, you know, nine years old being let out for recess and how much fun they're having. You guys have this great team of professionals. Uh, tell me what that, uh, what the culture is like in your eyes. Yeah, I think if you look at the roster we have now, I just think about what Chris Young was thinking about when he signed all of us. You know, he, he went after Corey and I, obviously, two years ago. You know, Corey's the same way, just very about his work and even keeled and not no big moment is too big for him. Um, but Chris Young's always looking at the person first, you know, and you think about him as a player and a person. He's one of the best people you'll ever meet, one of the nicest people. And that stuff matters to him. And, um, you know, the group we have definitely is a large group of those individuals. 
So how do you celebrate that as a group, given the personality, collective personality of the team, when you guys hit home runs, when you guys get into the clubhouse after a victory, you've heard these stories about, you know, uh, championship belts that are given out or, you know, the, the uh, you know, the hats in the dugout. How do you guys celebrate it? Well, we don't have, uh, we don't have like an official home run thing yet. I know that's been big around the league so far. Um, you know, I think after the game, it's pretty much the same soundtrack on, on the music. And um, what's the song? Uh, it's some like some kind of corny song. It's like a little pump up <laughs> song. I don't even know the title of it. And then we have a couple of Texas themed songs that are pretty cool. But it's nice to hear that soundtrack more more times than not. And then, um, you know, in terms of us celebrating, I'm sure that stuff will evolve as the year goes on. But the league, you look around the league, and you see a lot of that going on right now. So your series in Houston, it felt like from the outside looking in, like that was a nice uh, – you know, push forward for you when you took a series from the Astros because they have beaten up on the Rangers in recent years. You were there last year. Did it feel that way with the players, you being one of the older guys? Definitely. You know, everybody talked about the the history that the Rangers have had at, at Minute Maid and, you know, even at our place against them. And, you know, I was asked about it before the series, and I, and I told – you know, the media members, I said, we're a different team. So, I mean, I, you can talk about the, the past and all that, but we're a totally different team with a different manager, different coaching staff, a lot of different players in the clubhouse, veteran players that may not feel, you know, as overwhelmed going into a 40,000, you know, fan stadium who's screaming, going crazy because they're the defending champs, you know, but that was a good start for us against them. They, they're always going to be tough. They're obviously missing – Altuve and Brantley right now. So, you know, we, we definitely had to take advantage while those guys are out. Staying in the American League West, uh, I always love to hear the perspective of players about Shohei Otani, uh, someone that you know well, because you know the difficulty of what he does. Uh, from your eyes, his progression from when he first got here to now uh, as a player. Yeah, I, I remember playing against him in spring training his first year, I think 2018. And he hit a ground ball. I was in the shift. You know, I was on the right side. I used to go over there as a shortstop and play in the deep right field. And he hit a ball to me, and he he almost beat it out, right? And that's a ground ball to the right side of the infield. He was almost safe. And I said, is this the guy who's supposed to be pitching? Because he's the fastest player on the field. Um, so that was my first impression of him. And then we faced him early in the season, I believe. And I remember he was throwing, obviously – 100 miles an hour. He was also throwing a two-seam fastball at the time with the curveball, the slider, the cutter, and the splitter. So it was just a lot of weapons going coming at you. Uh, and then, obviously, he got hurt. Still, can, And the bat has gotten better and better and better. So he's definitely a problem, you know, for us in, the, in our division. You know, you, you can tell when you face him now, like, he turns it on. And when he turns it on, it's it's – elite you know so he, he's definitely a problem when he gets to second base you have the uh, you know we're playing in the middle of the infield to get to know a lot of opposing players in that little uh you know few minutes there at second what's he like what's your conversations with him well when he first got in the league you know obviously the language barrier is is tough you know first first year in the states um you know definitely very polite uh, very humble he's He's such a humble individual, but now you can tell he's got that confidence. He has a, the MVP under his belt. 
He's playing great baseball. Um, his, his English is getting better. So he, he's pretty funny, you know, jokes around a lot. And um, I definitely don't want to see him on second base. So I'm trying to keep him off the bases. <laughs> uh, you played all those years with the Oakland Athletics. You, we heard last week the team has bought this land in Las Vegas. There's conversations. Are they really going to go? Is it a leverage play with the city of Oakland? For you, uh, you know, how did you feel when you heard this news about the possibility the Athletics might be leaving that very passionate fan base? Yeah, I mean, there, there's been talks about this for the last couple of years and nothing had really happened because – you know, the, the team and the city of Oakland had, had been negotiating, I guess, for all this time because the site at Howard Terminal has been there waiting, right? And they had to iron out some things with that site, and it seemed like the momentum was there, especially, like, my last couple of years in Oakland. Like, we felt like, okay, this is probably going to happen. It would be awesome. Um, you know, they just had to iron some things out. Obviously, since I've been gone, things haven't been going well with the negotiations, and um, Vegas is kind of – shown that they can be a model for a pro sports team to come into and have some success and, you know, obviously newer facilities and cheaper land and things like that. But as an East Bay resident my entire life and in Oakland, A, it's just sad because I know so many people in that community and I know how much baseball means to that community. And yes, the Giants are right across the Bay, but the Bay area is a big area. There's a lot of people who just went to A's games and, you know, to see them not be able to get that done, you know, I, I really hope that there's still a glimpse of, you know, just a small chance that they stay in Oakland. If that team, if the athletics wind up moving to Las Vegas, you knowing that area, what will it do, do you think, to the area? I mean, what will be the impact on the community there? Well, I mean. Because of the rich history, all those teams, all the success, you know, the the dynasty in the 70s, Ricky Henderson, uh, your teams, the Moneyball teams. Uh, it's been such a, you know, it's been, a, they've had such success there despite the financial issues. Yeah, and you look at the other teams who were there too, Golden State and, and the Raiders, right? Those fan bases are solid. You know, obviously the Warriors, one of the best in all of sports, but I think that the problem we ran into, especially when with the A's when we got good, was, you know, and most teams have this issue throughout the year. You have the midweek games early in the year where families just aren't showing up to the ballpark like they do on the weekends, right? So you you see very small crowds on those weekdays. In Oakland, you know, it's even worse, right? So it's just a tough, tough situation because the facilities aren't great, and I think that the that community deserves a nicer place to go watch a ball game because, you know, Oakland's shown that they can put a good product on the field. All right, Marcus. Well, congrats on the Rangers fast start, your fast start. Uh, you guys are a lot of fun to watch. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. On Sunday, Roxy Bernstein, Doug Glanville caught up with Brandon Nimmo. And by the way, Brandon Nimmo was excellent wearing the mic for us in the third inning of Sunday night's game. Sunday Night Baseball from San Francisco was Brandon Nimmo of the New York Mets joins us. And on this West Coast trip, it's gone pretty well for this team and a good start for the ball club. Brandon, what have you seen from your team so far? Oh, I mean, you know, we're playing well. Um, you know, we've we've had Pete doing his thing, which um, it's been great, you know, to be able to fall in behind him. He's been setting such a great example at the plate, and it seems like – if they miss over the plate, he's putting it over the fence. And, you know, there's very few people in the game that can do that. Um, and so it's been fun to watch him. Um, but, you know, I think we're playing well as a team. We've got a deep lineup. Um, you know, any guy for any given night can can be the guy that gets the job done. And um, our pitchers have been giving us a chance out there, you know, for most games. And so um, that usually, you know, provides a recipe for success. Well, can you talk about the collective discipline of this team? I mean, it's incredible to watch how working counts, and that's something that's always been your trademark, mm-hmm. but you're seeing the entire lineup. So what is yeah. that like to be part of that group? No, it is. It's 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 amazing. You know, one of our uh, mantras that we kind of go by is like passing the torch, and, and however you do that, uh, we don't care. It's get hit by a pitch, uh, walk, uh, base hit, a home run. It, it doesn't matter. Um, let's just pass the torch and, and keep it going. So, um, you know, a big part of that is staying in the zone, and the guys have bought into that, and, you know, the front office uh, tried to bring in people that that believed in that approach as well and um, you know I think did a great job of it so you know we're all just uh, pulling for each other and trying to pass it along to the next guy and you don't have to get the big hit right there if you don't get the pitches to you know you 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 can pass it along to the next guy and uh, maybe they'll make a mistake to the next guy so just kind of understanding that as as a team that we're trying to wear down the other the other side as a team not as individuals um, you know is a big point to why we're having success, I think. For you personally, you had a decision to make in the offseason, got the big contract mm-hmm. to stay with the Mets. When you were going through, because there were a lot of teams that wanted you, yeah. but what was it about the Mets and wanting to come back? Well, you know, I think at the end there, uh, Steve uh, and Alex made very clear that they, they wanted me back and, um, you know, that they wanted to uh, pursue a World Series and, you know, that they wanted me to help with that. And so, um, you know, I was uh, – I was very, very happy to come back. They've treated me like family since they stepped in. um, And they just really have emphasized how much they want to win and what they're willing to do in order to do that. Um, And, you know, that they want to... um, they want to change the way that people view the New York Mets. And, you know, I thought that that was, that was great and something I wanted to get behind as well. And, um, you know, I'd been able to see the workings of that already um, in the short amount of time that they had owned the team. And so um, I knew that there was um, some substance behind their words. Well, let's compare 2023 Buck Showalter mm-hmm. versus 2022 Buck Showalter. <laughs> What's that been like? It's been, it's been great. I mean, you know, honestly, he hasn't been too different. 
Um, he's the same guy in the clubhouse uh, that, that he's always been. Um, he's very, uh, very communicative. Um, he, he comes up to us. He's very lighthearted. Um, he expects, you know, that you play hard um, and that, you know, you give him your best effort each and every day. Um, but, you know, that's really not that much to expect. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think, you know, we all expect from ourselves on this team. And, uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun with it. But he provides a lot of wisdom and a lot of wisdom. He's been around the game a long time and, uh, you know, he's seen a lot of things. And so um, we review things that, you know, might only come up once a year. Um, you know, and it happened last year, um, you know, twice for me um, where I was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. And comes up and and you know you end up getting the uh getting the right play done in that situation and so he just wants to be prepared for every situation and i really appreciate that out of him brandon appreciate the time thank you yeah thanks for having me bleacher tweets Alrighty, buster bleacher tweets for a monday do we have some atonement to do before we get started here i think yeah. both of us yeah the, the the bet recommendation that i made on friday michael lorenzen I had him, uh, it was his over-under on number of hits allowed was five and a half. And you know what? He dominated your Orioles. Just What's up with that? Roasted him, dude. I, I, did, I didn't see it coming. Uh, and, I, and I'll take, I'll take responsibility for it because I kind of backed you into it. You know, I laid out well, the bet and uh, you. No, 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 no. I will tell you that I have a course. I'm going to give a pick every week. Okay. But I am going to do a course correction going forward. Like Michael Lorenzen is one of the nicest people you want to ever meet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And from now on, I'm always, if I'm going to bet on a player, I'm always going to bet the over. I couldn't stand, like I had a hard time sleeping over the weekend because I bet the under on Michael Lorenzen and he rightly just stuck it right where it would deserve to go. <laughs> All right. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not betting the under on any individual player. I, okay. Okay. And I like your sort of your reasoning. Like, do you like him as a person? So you're not going to bet against him to, to no chance. Poorly. I like, I like that. We need some sort of, um, you know, some, or some reasoning behind these things. So that's a good start there. We'll get back to it on Friday. Uh, for now, let's go to Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion. He writes in, what do you think over or under 99.5 combined A's wins and Rays losses related question who gets to 100 first the a's with losses or the rays with wins oh i i think it's definitely going to be over because i think the a's are going to be one of the all-time worst teams the question i asked him and i'll I'll flip it back at you guys you know what's more acute is it the rays being great or the athletics being horrific taylor start with you uh, horrific because that sticks with you forever. You can be great in the regular season and kind of falter in the postseason. And people, I mean, amongst, you know, Rays fans, they'll remember that. But people are like, ah, you know, I feel like people can brush the regular season off a little more quickly than that stink of a hundred, uh, hundred game loser. So Sarah, what about you? What do you, do you think, do you think that the Rays are, are, are greater than the A's are horrible? I think the Rays are greater than the A's are horrible. Wow. I mean, it doesn't help that they are so astronomically better that they just like made them work, look 50 times worse, but I'm going to go on the other side. (laughs) I will tell you that I was around the Mets coaching staff over the weekend. They were on the other side of the game in which the Oakland pitchers walked 17. The stories from that game, I, 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 it was, they were just covering their eyes. Woof. Let's go to Golf Life Rag. He writes in, given the atrocious start by the White Sox, what will it take for Rick Hahn to finally lose his job that he never should have had? Oh, boy. I, I think Rick's done a good job. Like, when they decided to, to flip the – to turn the team over to create Chris uh, Sale and go forward, I thought he did a good job. Let's face it. He was overruled on the whole managerial thing with Tony La Rosa. 
Like he was set to hire somebody else. I think he would have wound up, if I remember correctly, with A.J. Hinch as their mm. manager. But then, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf exercised his prerogative. His owner stepped in, made him hire Tony LaRussa. And, it, you know, they've also had a lot of injuries to those young stars. Uh, so I, I think he did a good job. Aaron at Aaron plays MLB writes in, can we get some love for the Red Sox? Only series losses have been to the Rays and the Pirates. No story, no Duvall, but the team fights every day Four wins after trailing as many uh, as seven runs in or after trailing seven, as many as 2022, excuse me. And Kenley Jansen is the best closer in baseball. I don't know if I'd say that. Uh, yeah, the Red Sox, <laughs> can you believe it? When you look at the standing, it's so funny because we, I could, if I wanted to make the argument that, you know what? The Red Sox are a fifth place team. All five teams, the American League East, are over 500 as of this morning. Uh, I, I'm acutely aware of that, Buster. You are it, acutely aware. It's uh, Orioles it, are looking good, though. They are. They they do look nice. Big series between the O's and the Red Sox starting this evening. Be tuned into that. Brian Roll at Baseball. Brian Five rates in. How much does Vlad Jr.'s agent want him to stop talking about not wanting to ever sign with one of the highest payroll teams in Major League Baseball? At least a little bit. <laughs> like, it's one thing to go, yeah, you know, my dad didn't like the Yankees, so I'm not going to sign with the Yankees. It's a whole other thing to reiterate. Yeah, I'm not signing to one of the biggest potential bidders. But you know what? I think he's going to do okay either way. The smart, the sports snob at the sports snob rates. And I used to think the Beatles were boring until I listened to their later, more experimental albums. Listen to these albums in full in order and you'll change your mind. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Abbey Road and the White Album uh, sports snob. I, you know, I was half kidding there. I do like the Beatles and I do really like Sergeant Pepper. That's probably my favorite. Beatles. Uh, it, that is a phenomenal album. Within You, Without You by George Harrison to start the, you know, the, the, uh, the B side. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable song. Yeah. That uh, documentary that was out on Disney Plus a couple years ago is excellent. I'm sure every Beatles about George Harrison about uh, the whole. The, oh yeah, whole, to get back uh, during yeah, the get, get back, back was, sessions. Yeah. I I will not admit that I watch at least two or three of those little segments on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, the three or four minute segments, at least three four times a week. <laughs> wow, there you go. I love that. I you know I told you I went and saw McCartney last year and it was like a dream come true. Man. Well, can we uh, pull back the curtain here? So we're, we're, we're doing the Bleacher Tweet segment before actually recording with Sarah Langs, but I want her perspective on this last Bleacher Tweet here. Uh, Bob Buscaglia, who, sorry, Bob, yeah, writes in, Madison Bumgarner had a great 2014 World Series, Buzz it, but is it really better than Sandy Koufax's 1965 series? Both yielded just one earned run, but Koufax pitched three more innings and eight more strikeouts. Yeah, Bob, I, I, I never said, like, Bumgarner had the greatest World Series ever. I said he had the greatest postseason ever. Remember, that postseason started with him winning a wild card game. I think the Giants were the fifth seed in the National League, and then he just kept on winning throughout, you know, throughout the postseason, 52 and a third innings, okay? 52 and a third innings in that postseason. He was unbelievable, and it finishes up with him throwing in relief. I mean, he, I think he had one blip when he faced the Washington Nationals. Besides that, he was just incredible. So it's not only about, and I get it, Sandy Koufax, 1965, didn't have those opportunities, but Madison Baumgartner had to go through a lot more layers in the 2014 postseason, which is why it's the greatest ever. Langer, can we get your opinion on this? Uh, of course. Hi. Hello. Um I am. No, I'm disoriented about where I am in the podcast right now, so I apologize. 
No, just but, ignore that and just answer the question. Yeah, yeah, you're blowing yes. it up. Here. I, mean, I mean, is Bumgarner, my point was, I'm not saying his World Series better than Koufax or Bob Gibson or uh, Christy Matthewson back in the day. I'm just saying the 2014 postseason will go down in history as the greatest postseason performance by any pitcher, in part because we'll never see teams rely on starting pitchers the way they did uh, in 2014. Of course, and I agree with that. And I also think it's unique. You know, he got a chance to pitch in multiple winner-take-all games. We never saw Sandy Kovacs even get that chance, so we don't know what he would have done if he came out with a wildcard game or game five in NLCS or game seven in an NLCS. So part of what made... Bumgarner still outstanding. He has two shutouts in winner-take-all games in those wildcard games just over the course of his postseason career. So it's very hard to compare those, but I do think the overall body of work, especially in that 2014 postseason, I mean, that was Bumgarner. That is the reason any of that happened for the Giants. Storytelling time, Sarah, from that postseason uh, if you remember when he shut out the Mets in City Field, Buster Posey goes out to the mound at the completion of that game, and he just looks at Bumgarner and he said, I, I just can't believe you. Like, Buster was in awe at that point. And I got to interview him on the field after that game, and I made up my mind because Bumgarner, when you interviewed him, and I always love talking with him, uh, he, he always was intentionally boring when the camera came on. So I was like, I want to touch that competitive part that I know is there. And I knew it would bother him. He would be annoyed by the questions of put yourself in history. What's your legacy? Because he doesn't think that way. So, you know, (laughs) he finally at one point said, man, why are you asking me such hard questions? (laughs) I I just I just kind of had fun with it because I knew it. But you could feel that competitiveness. At least I could, you know, standing a couple of feet away from him. That was a fun postseason. How did your family deal with that, by the way? Well, we were in the stands for that game, the 2016 game. I was in the stands, still a rooting fan, with my mother, a Giants fan, and my father, a Mets fan. It was uh, quite the day. uh, I remember getting uh, my schedule changed at ESPN by the late great Ben Keeperman so I could go to the game. With my family and, you know, I think the beginnings of me being totally impartial were kind of there because even though I was in the measures, it was really just not wanting my mom to be upset and she's standing there almost feeling badly that Bumgarner is pitching as well as he is. Meanwhile, Stendergaard had a no-hitter through, like, I believe six innings in that game. I mean, it was just such a well-pitched game between the two of them. So, I mean, an amazing family moment for us and really cool that we got to go. But I remember just standing there, sitting there and thinking about seeing the best postseason pitcher, certainly in my generation, who I was able to uh, fully witness, you know. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing well. We just got done talk, talking with Marcus Simeon. It was a fun conversation. Uh, I mean, you got some tentacles that I want to throw at you based on that conversation. 
One, uh, in the midst of it, Taylor, you know, was telling you, Marcus is coming on and you're like, go Bears. And I didn't get the connection that you have with him. If you can explain that. Yeah, of course. So my mom went to Cal Berkeley, which is where Marcus sent me and my Andrew Vaughn as well. The California Golden Bears. And uh, I grew up rooting for them. I mean, I have a photo of me at age like three in the cow hat. So that was always my uh, college team. And of course, I went to a uh, D3 school. So I was able to maintain my power five and main uh, college team all throughout. And and that, like the light bulb went off over my head with all that, because the the nickname for your college team at the University of Chicago was? The Maroons. And And now it makes complete sense while you were pumping up the Maroons so much as the Tampa Bay Rays are winning all these games. Guilty? Yes, I mean, to be fair, totally different Maroons. But (laughs) I was actually making the joke the other day. So I tweeted more about the Maroons over the last few weeks than I did when I was sports editor for the Chicago Maroon, writing about the Maroons, our baseball team and football team and everything. But uh, people who know me and know that I like to, I like to make fun of the fact that I went to a D3 school. We're not known for sports. But we did found the Big Ten. We did have the first Heisman Trophy winner, Jay Merwinger, way back when. But I like to throw in the Go Maroons here or there. And after maybe the third time tweeting about them early in the season, I snuck in a little Go Maroons tweet at the end that, you know, I had a friend who I actually worked with on the college paper and at ESPN, Mo Barani, who's no longer there. And uh, he responded, he's like, that's what I'm talking about. So there's been a little bit of that. But to be clear, they are different Maroons. Okay. Uh, You know the personality of Bruce Bochy, the manager of the Rangers. Uh, You've watched Marcus Simeon play a lot. You've watched Corey Seager play a lot. Jacob DeGrom play a lot. Knowing all that, and you have, as you and I speak, you you have not heard the Marcus interview. What would you suppose would be a, a typical celebration for the Rangers players uh, when they hit a home run or in the clubhouse after a game? What What's your guess? I mean, it has to be very low-key. You know, I mean... You I nailed think- it. I, that's exactly right. Like, yeah. Marcus, it's like, we don't have a home run celebration yet. Uh, there's some music that's played, the same song, but he couldn't identify the song. That's perfect for that group of players, Yes. Yeah, I mean, it It really feels exactly like them. And I know you've mentioned a few times this year about the sort of personality makeup of that team. And it's amazing, despite an entirely different makeup money-wise. They have two $300 million players. They have Jacob deGrom. There are so many similarities to the Giants team, especially in 2010, where there was no overwhelming steal the spotlight superstar and of course Corey Seager could be that and I know he's injured right now but I think in the way these guys approach the game it's one of those teams where everybody is just so low-key and again I'm not taking away from Jacob DeGrom best pitcher on the planet 
Corey Seager mashing baseballs to me and doing the same, but there's a lot of team DNA that's similar to those other Boach teams. All right, Sarah, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 13. Well, after we talked about the Maroons, I had two race stats in front of me. But since we talked about the Maroons, I have to bring them up again. So entering Monday, entering the week, the Rays are now 13-0 at home. I mentioned this when we spoke at the end of last week. I said if they won a couple more, we would have a fun list. We have that list. So 13-0 is tied for the fifth longest home win streak to start a season with the 2009 Dodgers. All of the teams ahead of them are in the 1880s. The 1880 White Stocking, 21-0 at home. 1886 Detroit Wolverines, 18 and now. My 1884 Maroons, 60-0. And then the 1885 White Stockings at 14 and now. Number two. Number two is two. So on Sunday, Masataka Yoshiba hit two home runs in the eighth inning for the Red Sox. One was a grand slam, and it was on the anniversary of Fernando Tatis Sr. hitting two grand slams in an inning. Yoshida became the fifth Red Sox player with two home runs in the inning. And I love this list. The fourth rookie, MLB rookie, with two homers in the inning, joining Joe Pepitone in 1962, some guy named Joe DiMaggio in 1936, think we've heard of him, and Ed Cartwright in 1890s. Now, obviously, he's an MLB rookie, but not a baseball rookie. But we put him on the list because this is his first MLB season. Number one. Number one is 092 with the decimal point at the beginning. That is the opposing batting average against Shohei Otani this year. So we pitched on Friday, seven scoreless innings, two hits. He has been absolutely incredible. That 092 Manning average is the lowest by any starter in his first five starts of a season. Back to 1893 when the mound was moved. You know who had the previous record? It was David Cohn in 1999. Wow. 102. I love that note, and Otani has been incredible. I mean, we talk about how amazing it is that he does both get home run on Sunday. On Friday, he had this great start. But how about the fact he's doing something no pitcher has ever done before, even if you take the hitting out of it? So I'm kind of embarrassed because I covered David Cohn in that year in 1999, and I didn't remember that. Oh, when you were like, who? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I covered it. I watched it play out uh, every single day. Yeah, we had a fun conversation with Marcus about Otani and what separates him. All right, we got this bleacher tweet, uh, and you're better suited to answer it than I am, more qualified. Uh, Stewie 
the Stoke says two questions. Are starting pitchers going deeper into games than the last few years? Good question. And the answer is so far not significantly different. The average start is still right around five-ish innings. But I think it's a really good question to revisit later in the year, see if we do have more complete games, things like that. I mean, we saw Sandy with a shutout early in the year, but I can think of a lot of guys who went maybe six or seven, and maybe we even look at, like, four starts of seven innings, something like that. So they, there isn't a discernible trend yet, but maybe in a month or two. Yeah, and I and I do think that'll continue. Second question was their starting pitch throwing more pitches per start than the last few years. It's hard to make that assessment in April because uh, pitchers are still building pitch counts, and you can't compare what happens in April with the overall average. The general thing that I'm seeing, Sarah, which is consistent even with the in this you know now what we refer to as the pitch clock era, uh, is that uh, third time through the order is a big deal for managers. That still feels like a big deal when. You know, teams are like structuring how they're going to put together a pitching staff for a given game. When you get into the first, second, third, fourth batter, third time through the order, that seems to be when I'm seeing a lot of pitching changes. And that's consistent with what we've seen in recent years. Yes, would generally speaking, that's the way it feels. Absolutely. And again, I mean, to anyone who thinks in that the analytics or, you know, something bad with the game, if you look at numbers, in general, when a batter sees the guy, again, they've gotten enough of a chance to really figure out what he's throwing, and they tend to hit those guys better. So there are certainly a few outstanding pitchers who are better as they get deeper into games, but those guys are not the norm. All right, Sarah. Thanks for doing this. Great to talk with you. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. That's it for today. My thanks to Marcus Simeon, Sarah, Tim, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and quality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.